Welcome to Mindset Reset Radio, where we're on a mission to help millennials get intentional in life, business, and career with practical advice and real stories of living with intention, the good, the bad, and lots of the ugly. I'm your host, Jess, and my goal is to flip your perspective on what's possible with the help of the amazing intention getters I get to have as guests. Join my community on Instagram, at Jessica Thiefels, so we can keep these conversations going while supporting one another to stay intentional every day. And finally, if you love this podcast, please subscribe, share, and review. I would greatly appreciate it. I'm really, really excited for today's guest, Ayana Warrington, on the podcast today. She's based out of Dallas, Texas, and she's the founder of the Black Girl Co., which is a community organization that provides safe spaces for young Black women to connect, share their stories, and empower one another. So thank you so, so much for being here today. I know I messed up your name. <laughs> um, tell us a little bit more about you, who you are, and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. And it was a, it was a solid attempt. Um, <laughs> excited to be on the podcast. Ayana Warrington here. Um, as you mentioned, I started the Black Girl Co., which has really become a safe space for women of color in Dallas to connect with everything that's been going on from COVID to kind of this latest host of racial injustices that our country and really that the world has been responding to. Um, I think it's it's nice for us to have a safe space where we can talk through really what we're feeling. <laughs> um, there aren't always a ton of spaces where we get the opportunity to do that. And so the Black Girl Co. is my baby. <laughs> I love it being able to provide that opportunity to others. But outside of that, I've been in Dallas, Texas for the past five years. So I'm a self-proclaimed Texan and yeah, a lot of laptop activism trying to influence mm-hmm. how, how Texas responds to everything going on right now. I love that phrase, laptop activism. I feel like you need to coin that in some way. <laughs> That's so perfect. Well, if COVID stays, I might have to. <laughs> yeah. Tell us, um, just because I'm curious, tell us more about what you do with the Black Girl Co. So is it usually online events? Is there a forum? Do you have in-person events when COVID wasn't happening? I'm curious. Yeah, absolutely. So it started towards the end of last year as um, really a, a group that had an online component to the community, but the main focus was in-person events where we talk about things that are maybe a little bit taboo in the Black community, especially for Black women. So things like healthcare, wellness, um, some of the racial sensitivities or racial nuances we have to navigate in corporate America, things like that. So it was a community of women coming together to meet in person. Um, And then obviously COVID kind of threw a bit of a wrench in that. And so as everybody else has had to do, we've adjusted and become more of an online community with an online brand um, through meetup.com, if you're familiar with that platform, Mm -hmm. Instagram, and then also our website and our blog. So still providing that space for community, still providing space for women to exchange stories with one another. Um, But instead of self-care workshops and um, vision boarding and Mm -hmm. kind of coaching, mentoring sessions, it's all online now. Right. Got it. That's so incredible. And um, what I really wanted to bring you on to talk about today are two words, two things, but the words have really become very buzzwordy um, in our current 
um, racial climate. And I want to just get to the bottom of, of what they mean, what it means for us as not people of color, as, as white people, and what we can do to start getting intentional about taking those from just words to things that are part of our life. And so listeners, those two things I want to talk about are anti-racism and allyship. So can we start by just defining anti-racism? What does it, what does it mean? Yeah, so in my mind, anti-racism is being active, being vocal about standing up against institutions and sometimes people, whether they're friends or family or spouses, who promote or tolerate racial behavior. Right, and so I feel like the argument I've been seeing a lot is it's not enough to just not be racist, but to be anti-racist. And so being anti-racist is taking that one step further from saying, I'm not racist to saying, I'm not racist and I'm willing to do something about it. Do you think that's accurate? Yeah, I I would say that's a fair assessment. Um, And I'm sure you've probably seen a lot of like your silence is complicit, you know? Mm -hmm. So anti-racism definitely requires you to take action. Right. Okay. And then I feel like allyship really fits in with that. But would you say, could you tell us what, when we're hearing the word allyship, what is that referring to right now? Yeah, so I think allyship is a little bit broader, whereas anti-racism clearly has a singular focus, right? Racism. Mm -hmm. Um, Allyship for me is a little bit broader. And it actually, I actually like this word because I think it allows for a bit of intersectionality to come into the conversation as well. So obviously we are um, kind of, I won't say at the peak because the movement is several years old, but the Black Lives Matter movement has had a resurgence in recent times, but there's also kind of dual identities or even more than dual identities that people in the Black community experience. And so there are systemic inequities that disproportionately impact Black women. There are just systemic inequities that disproportionately impact um, trans members of the Black community. And so for me, allyship goes beyond race. Mm. Still having some connotation of taking action, but really saying like, okay, I've done the work to educate myself about who underrepresented populations and traditionally marginalized groups are. Um, I'd say specifically in the United States, uh, just because that's where the focus is right now. And I also have done research. I've also done the work to understand how I can join those groups in their fight for equality which is crazy that we're still fighting for equality in 2020. But to me, that's what allyship means. That's what it embodies. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for better explaining that because I feel like that makes it really clear. And and I, I agree with you. I do like the way that that term brings in a broader focus on just the generally underrepresented communities and minorities in the country, which I also agree with you. It blows my mind that we're having this conversation as well. I feel like the biggest challenge for a lot of people has been figuring out where to take action. And I would love to talk a little bit about, and it sounds like you've done some of this in Dallas, is starting on the local level. That's in my research and my education. What I really learned is that's where you're going to make the greatest impact often Mm -hmm. um, because that's where laws and, and regulations are made for your state. So 
Can you talk to us a little bit about how we can get intentional with taking action, with being anti-racist and with being an ally, um, just basic starting at the local level? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I might focus on a maybe even more micro level than the local level, because I think what we've all been seeing on social media recently is kind of the laptop activism I've been referring to, right? So mm-hmm. posting things to drive awareness on social media or to share petitions, to text officials, to email officials, which all of that has a ton of merit. I mean, this is the largest civil rights movement that's been participated in on a global level. Mm-hmm. Um, so clearly that has merit. But I think it's easy when doing those things to place some responsibility for where we are on other people. And that really, before we even get to the local level, we need to get to the individual level. Mm. And so a project that I've been working on with the Black Girl Co. is creating a, or collecting a series of Black women's perspectives on kind of that one moment that hit home for them that, okay, wow, racism still exists. Racism is still alive. And in the majority of those cases, it was something that a friend said or that a teacher said or a coworker, a significant other, someone who was close to them, who, while that was a defining moment in the life of that Black woman, that other person probably went about it as if it was another Tuesday and they have no clue the impact um, that that moment had on that person's life. And so I think it is great to reach out to your elected officials and to do the research to educate yourself on kind of the historic, historical systemic injustices. But I think even more so than that, we need to take an own, a look at our own lives, at the ways that we interact with people in the workplace, outside of the workplace, um, are the, do the people on your team look like you? If there are some people who don't look like you, you know, how are you as actively engaging them? Are you as intentional about the words that you use around people who maybe are different than you? And so I, I, I often urge people <laughs> when we're facing kind of these, these large movements, we can kind of Think about the responsibility for how we got here as someone else's fault or large corporations fault or the government's fault or slavery's fault when really there are things in our daily lives, our daily interactions that we can always do better that make a real difference, right? Yeah, absolutely. And makes a real difference because it makes someone feel safe and the difference between someone feeling safe and not safe or like they belong and they don't belong. I feel like this reminds me of like, the word choice of saying like something is, I hate to say the word, but like someone's like, that's so gay or Mm -hmm. like that's retarded. Like we wouldn't use those terms, at least most of us wouldn't use those terms anymore because we know that they were putting a negative spin on something that shouldn't be a negative thing. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And that's, that's a great example of something that like, you know, we, we didn't, achieve that change by signing petitions. And there are tons of great organizations lobbying for LGBTI plus rights, but that's also something that you and I have control over, right? And so when you and I are fortunate enough to be in positions of power, positions where we have influence over organizations or communities, these habits, these intentionalities that we've developed 
they magnify in scale. But if we've never taken the time to to develop more positive ones, I think that's it's 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 setting it's setting us up for a longer journey than what we've already been on. <laughs> right. Yeah, I completely agree. And I love, love, love that point that there wasn't some campaign against using those words or some petition. We just learned and built into our society and our world that you don't use those words. And that was one person at a time. I really love that point. And the other thing I'm thinking as we're having this conversation is, you know, I I wonder if there's an element of those of us who do work with people of color or other minorities where, where you just sort of like put, make yourself super vulnerable and say like, please tell me if I say something that is offensive to you. Like, please don't, hold it in and walk away and sit on it. Like, because I think there's an element of awareness that like, for example, someone like myself, I've had to say to my friends, like, tell me if I'm saying something that you think is rude. And that Mm -hmm. sounds silly, but like, it's just who I am. And so sometimes Mm -hmm. things come out and I don't mean for them to be offensive or whatever. And so I've had to say like, please make me aware of it in the moment so that I can then correct the issue. And I wonder if there's an element of having that conversation with these people in your lives that you might not realize you're saying things or doing things that are you know, offensive or hurting them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's important to note. And there's a delicate balance to reach, right? Because you don't want it to feel like, okay, you're someone else is responsible for letting you know that you've offended them, but you also want to create an environment where where really anybody feels comfortable speaking up against maybe language that isn't inclusive or behavior that's exclusive. I think we've all seen, um, especially in the Black community over the past several weeks, like we've been reached out to from people at work who have asked us to review strategies they're trying to roll out to address the Black Lives Matter movement or to help them with their own personal education. And while some of us are okay with doing that, others of us don't feel like that's our responsibility. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, there are several Black and minority-owned diversity and inclusion consulting firms or diversity and inclusion um, kind of freelance consultants who get paid good money to do that. So (laughs) it's not fair to ask, especially employees, to do that for free. Um, but I think just in general, having being in general, embracing openness to where I'm not saying, okay, um, you know, Jessica, if I say something that's offensive about women, like, please let me know, you know, putting that burden on you, Mm -hmm. but instead to where anybody in our circle, it becomes, it's natural. It's part of our group dynamic to call out anything that we're uncomfortable with that impacts anybody. And so, um, which from, I have a full-time job outside of the Black Girl Co., but one thing I do love about my coworkers is that they're always really in tune to certain words. Um, for example, a lot of people use powwow really um, informally or like, hey, let's step in the kitchen for a quick powwow. Um, not really, ne- not always realizing that it has strong ties to the Native American community. Hmm. And so... My coworkers will call that out like, hey, you might not want to say that. Or if someone hops on a call and says, hey, you guys, um, are you ready to kick off the meeting? Someone's like, okay, well, there might be people here who identify as a gal, not a guy, or maybe as neither. And they've built a culture where it sounds, it might sound a little (laughs) nitpicky as I'm speaking to it right now, but they've built a culture where it's very natural and it doesn't feel like you're putting someone on the spot. 
and everyone is involved in making sure that how we conduct our business is inclusive. Yeah, I really like that point. Um, Because it's making me think of, there's been a lot of, I know, talk on social media about like having the hard conversations and and having the conversations. And I think we think those conversations are maybe between white people and people of color and in talking about what's hard for them or what we can do. And that's for sure important. But I think that this is a whole nother aspect of that. You know, if you're running a business or even in your group of friends and saying like, let's hold one another accountable to maintaining a level of inclusive inclusivity, whether it's within our workplace or, or on this podcast or um, in my community of friends and sort of hold each other to that, to that level of inclusivity, I feel like is really powerful. And, and that is probably a hard conversation for a lot of people to have, especially a lot of businesses. Yeah, Not that it shouldn't happen, but that, yeah. It, it, it is difficult. It's just, it's not natural. It's not, you know, especially in the workplace, especially if you're lower down on the totem pole. Um, and even on social media where people can kind of latch on to one thing you say and it can blow up or be taken out of context. We're not always as comfortable <laughs> uh, correcting someone or stating how we feel about things. So it, agreed. It definitely has to be more than an individual effort. And I think there also <laughs> has to be a balance between how much we focus on semantics. So this is this is what makes kind of the fight for equality, the fight for equity, a little bit difficult because we're all in different places, all in different journeys with how long we've been focused on this topic, but it really will take all of us to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking of, um, so based in Texas, maybe a few of you have seen on social media how a few real estate agents have decided that they're going to stop calling the master bedroom the master bedroom, right? And so I'm not sure if you heard about that, but just for obvi- for ties to slavery, they're going to stop calling the master bedroom when they're the master bedroom when they're showing homes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe someone in the black community rose that. I'm not sure how this decision came about, but <laughs> when you're asking people or when creating this environment where people can step up and kind of call out things that are making them feel excluded. There also has to be some level of authenticity behind it as well. So my, my, me as a black woman, I could care less whether someone calls it a master bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) Like I, that tie to slavery has never even crossed my mind. What crosses my mind is, um, how home ownership in the black community is disproportionately low. What mm. crosses my mind is how real estate agents will assume based on your color what you can and cannot afford, how they'll show you less listings compared to white counterparts. So I guess not everything that maybe is raised or elevated to you <laughs> needs to be jumped on with um, a, a, a ton of focus all of the time. And I think doing a bit of your own research to kind of ground what you're hearing um, to realize what is important because I'm sure anyone would say like, okay, the name of what we call a bedroom versus having the equal opportunity to purchase home, a home, I can clearly see which one is maybe a little bit more valid. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I, I really, um, I feel like that really drives home the point that like at the very, very base of all of this work of anti-racism work of allyship is education. Um, And what that reminds me of 
is the idea of the fitness industry and how there's so much information out there and so much false information. And, and if you don't do your own research, you're just going to be, you know, bombarded with these things that you should be caring about or you should be focusing Mm -hmm. on. Whereas if you do your own research, you're going to come from a place of, all right, well, I know what really matters and I know what really matters to me or in this case to the people in the black community. Um, and so I'm going to make my choices based on that. And so I feel like that really hits home the point that education is, is so important and really understanding the actual, I mean, there's so many things that you've said on this call that I'm going to be honest, I've never thought about. And that's my white privilege and I'm not proud of that, but that's the reality. Um, and so doing, doing that work to educate yourself is just, I just can't say enough how important it is. Yeah, and I, and I do like how you related it to kind of the fitness world where there's so much conflicting information out there um, and you kind of have to do your own research to see what's important and what kind, kind of can, what, what you can connect to. Um, and I'll say me, even as a black woman, I'm still doing research, still trying to keep up with, um, I mentioned intersectionality earlier, so other black communities that maybe I haven't been as informed on, I'm still in that process of well, and I think it's kind of an ongoing process. The education piece never stops. New research comes out, there are new books, there are new inequities that are exposed. And so I um, totally agree that education is and has to continue to be kind of a key component of how we approach this entire mess of a situation. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd be curious for you to share with us um, some of the educational outlets uh, that you found to be really helpful. How are you educating yourself um, on these different topics? Yeah, so I would say maybe in a maybe there are a couple different ways that I educate myself. One, so I have a full-time job in corporate America, so there are a ton of kind of big brand name consulting firms that publish a lot of research about diversity and inclusion, about equity, about um, the whole spectrum of diversity topics. So Deloitte Consulting, Boston Consulting Group, McKinsey and Company, they all have tons of research coming out. And I really like um, research from those organizations because it's usually a somewhat diverse group of people pulling it together, mm-hmm. thinking about it in terms of business imperatives. So why DNI diversity and inclusion is helping businesses and helping businesses create a better world. But it's usually just a little bit more objective than what you might see on Fox News or CNN. Um, it it kind of just lays out the flat the facts a bit more clearly. So all of those organizations, I believe, have um, websites or like newsletters you can subscribe to that are super helpful. And then also I would say um, if you have, and I, and I say this delicately because there's a lot of good, of good reading out there, which I, will, which I will get to as well. But if you have black friends who are actually your friends, so as in you had talked to them in the week or a few days before you heard about George Floyd, I think they can be good education sources as well if they're open to sharing. And I'll be honest, if you have a black friend and this is the first time that you've had a conversation or initiated a conversation with them about race, 
they might not you might not be as close to them <laughs> as you think <laughs> uh, my boyfriend has a childhood best friend who actually when i started the black girl co he like engaged me in conversation about the value of creating a space just for black women and with everything that has been going on recently he's been engaging in those conversations a bit more and it feels like he's looking for off he's authentically looking for knowledge um because it's not the first time <laughs> so i would just put a bit of a, a caveat out there about that and then so i'm, I'm going to try to share some books that i think are maybe a little aren't the ones that I've been seeing on social media a ton. <laughs> awesome, yeah. <laughs> Which is, might be a little bit more difficult. Um, but so, and, and I, so what, what I've been seeing on social media a bunch are kind of more historical books, so books on mass incarceration, which of course are good, um, books on like the black trans, black trans history, which I think is great as well. But I also feel like there are, a few modern pieces of literature that just maybe we can relate to that don't always quite feel like history. And so um, The Hate You Give is a book that I really enjoyed reading, which was also made into a movie, but <laughs> I think you should also read the book, which just, it puts you, it allows you to spend some time in someone else's shoes. I would say that also, I know why the cage bird sings for Maya Angelou, anything by a black woman that even touches on what we experience and how that can be different from your own. Love that as well. This one is also a movie, so I'm not trying to do all movies, but <laughs> it speaks to the experience, Hidden Figures, if you haven't seen that. Um, also another book that just shows perspective. I think sometimes when we read the more historical books, which they, they definitely have merit, and there's a whole argument on why it's not as incorporated into like, US history classes as it should, but Sometimes folks get caught up on trying to debunk the numbers or debunk um, the statistics, but you can't really debunk what somebody else experienced and how they felt. And so um, that's why a lot of just the fictional books written by Black authors resonate a bit more with me. I love that. I love that list. And I'm all about doing, like, talking about or sharing the things that no one else is sharing. So I really appreciate you going a little outside the box with those recommendations. Definitely be adding all of them to my list for sure. Do you have any other suggestions for educating yourself? You mentioned, you know, speaking with, um, you know, black people within your, your close circle of friends. Um, I love the research recommendations. So, so helpful to know some good places to look and the books or anything else uh, jump out at you or come to mind that we didn't uh, mention? Yeah, and I would say um, you probably, if you've been signing petitions, you probably heard of these two organizations, but Color of Change, so their website is colorofchange.org, and then also Black Lives Matter is more than just a hashtag, it also is, and um, they, they have a website as well, and so both of those are good resources for staying up to date with what's happening um, politically and in communities, so I think that's a good way to kind of round out if you're doing your historical reading from all the lists you've seen circulate, circulating, if you're doing some kind of fictional or even um, non-fictional reading to understand more of the experiences and then balancing it out with knowledge about what's kind of happening right now when things are progressing. I think 
that's a good start. And like I said, there's no way one person can ever know everything. And so I think I, over the past few weeks, I've seen a lot of my non-Black colleagues feeling a bit overwhelmed by everything that they didn't know. Um, and just, it's, it's like any new subject that you are trying to learn more about, it's going to take some time. Right. <laughs> so just buckle up and welcome, welcome to the ride we've been on for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like one of the main things I'm really taking away from our conversation is that authenticity is so key in in this experience in what you're sharing in what you're rallying against um in who you're talking to because i don't want people listening to this podcast to think like you're just supposed to read these books because that's what everyone's doing right now or you're supposed to have that conversation with your friend because that's the time we're in like you know coming coming from an authentic place in having those conversations or in doing that research and, and being honest with yourself in terms of what it all means, I feel like is so key to really making that true impact within yourself and your communities and your workplace or, you know, wherever it is. Yeah, absolutely. I think we, especially with like the social media culture, we, we are all kind of quick to point out behavior that feels false and authentic in others, but we should also be able to recognize it in ourselves, right? Like mm-hmm. if we're doing something just because we saw a post on top 10 black history books that you need to read in 2020, it's, it's always good to start somewhere. <laughs> um, but there, there's usually, you know, black and white or black and Hispanic, black and whatever other race or ethnicity, there are always commonalities. There's always common ground you can find, understand, why someone doesn't like feeling less than I think that's a that's a human feeling that transcends a lot of other things um and so just doing that work to find what that common ground is to find what your authentic way of supporting people is whatever your entry point needs to be so for example black women and there have been a ton of statistics shared uh, around the mortality rate at birth or when black women are giving birth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you're a mother, that's an entry point for you. If that's where you want to dive in and learn more about the disproportionate effects of healthcare on black mothers or pregnant black women, I, I'm for it. <laughs> yeah, I like that idea. And making, yeah, making the, the research and the work that you're doing personal to you because then it's going to matter more as well. Not that, it, not that everything doesn't matter, but like you said, there's there can be that feeling of overwhelm. And so finding the entry point that feels really personal where you feel you want to put in the effort to support and change and shift and understand. I think that's a really great idea. I love that. Yeah. Well, this has been a really, really great conversation. I'm so grateful to have you on and for you to have taken your time to talk to me about this. Um, Before I ask you my two last questions, is there anything else that you wanted to share or that you think is important to share before we finish up? Man, I feel like this could have been like a 10 hour podcast and everybody would have fallen asleep. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So of course there's a ton more we could talk about around this, but I, I I think we hit on everything we need to hit on today. Okay, good. I think so too. So, Second to last question, what is your current intention getter story? What are you working on right now? 
Yeah, so I mentioned earlier that COVID kind of threw a bit of a wrench in the Black Girl Coast plan, and so we're transitioning from being kind of an in-person event-based organization to more of an online brand. Um, and initially, our audience, we were just looking at young Black women based in Texas, based in Dallas, really. Um, and so now with COVID, we've been pushed to being completely online and have the opportunity to expand our reach outside of Dallas or even Texas's borders. And so for me, that's my, that's my focus right now, how to make it a broader uh, brand that heavily resonates with black women all over the world. Awesome. So much more impact to be able to reach out. I feel like the shift is hard to make, but it is amazing how you can have such a greater reach when you have to go digital. Absolutely. And finally, where can our listeners connect with you? Yeah, so you can reach out to us at theblackgirlco.com, which is our website. We also have an Instagram page, which is the, at theblackgirlco. Um, and then we have a meetup page, which is the Black Girl Co. as well, <laughs> uh, mostly for women in Dallas, Texas. That's what the, the meetup is still reserved for that. But our website and Instagram, um, those communities are for everyone. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for being here. And thank you listeners for tuning in for this super important conversation. I hope that you continue the work after you've heard this. And um, we will be talking to you again very soon.